Hello and welcome back to season two of Alan and Ovary's launch, this time recorded remotely. My name is Bianca Vasilake, and I will be your host on the podcast for demystifying the process of getting into law and exploring both the opportunities you will have in your legal career and, of course, what that career might take you. Today's episode is Solicitor Diaries life in a tech startup. And here to tell us everything about what it's like to be a lawyer in a tech startup is Ricky Cohen, the former general counsel and legal product architect at Nevora, a tech startup that works on automating key processes in the bonds market. Before that though, he was a senior associate in the General Securities Group, or uh, GSG as we call it at ANO, dealing primarily with emerging markets bonds. Thank you very much for joining me, Ricky. Thanks very much for having me. So just starting from the very beginning, I know that you qualified in 2008, uh, which was quite a difficult time in the market. Not very dissimilar, I think, from the year of uh, 2020. How do you think that has shaped your career and your approach to your work? Well, yes, it, it, it was. We were told it was a once-in-a-lifetime crisis, of course, until the next <laughs> one, 12 years later. Did but, I have to wait too long? Uh, I, yeah, I didn't, and I really hope I, I don't get to see another one. So it was a difficult time to qualify. I'll be honest, it was probably an easier time for me and sort of my intake than maybe some of the ones that came after because, of course, we qualified and all the decisions for us were made around before it hit. So... We qualified in September 08, and of course, I think layman's went down while I was in the Serengeti on my six weeks qualification leave. People didn't care about it as much there as they did in the city. And then obviously the intakes that came after us, you know, had the struggle of a changed world, certainly when they were looking at qualification and, and the challenges around that. But it has, I think, completely shaped my career and, and the time I've had. And probably actually, you see my interest in what I'm doing now stems in some part from that. Because when I was a trainee, clients didn't really worry about legal fees. It was still very much the boom times, 2006. We haven't had a boom like it since, certainly. And, you know, clients would just pay their lawyers, no matter what part of the practice you were in. And then obviously, you know, 2008 is just after that and the aftermath of that, just an enormous focus on cost and more for less. And there has been real pressure on particularly, you know, certain areas of practice, but those commoditized finance practices in particular, where you see more competition, you see more US firms coming in, more competition and lower cost as a result. And that has really driven an approach that looks at how do we use advanced delivery? How do we use different methods of getting legal services to clients that allows us to respond to that? And I think it's been that force that has completely shaped my career. And then obviously, as someone who was qualified into a sort of commoditized finance area, and particularly in emerging markets where cost pressures are particularly acute, I and sort of colleagues and partner I work for, you know, had to look at that kind of thing all the time. And then as the firm became more interested in technology, that seemed to me at least to hold at least part of the answer to that thing we have been grappling with ever since I qualified. And I think that's a, a big part for my interest in the area. So when would you say you first became interested in legal tech? Was it something that was on your mind from when you were newly qualified or did the interest come later on? 
it was, certainly wasn't something that was on my mind from when I was newly qualified. Not at all, really, actually. I've always been interested in kind of process and how we do things and looking at how we can do that better. So I think that was on my mind, but not necessarily the technology piece of it. And actually, when sort of people first started talking about it, I didn't see an immediate application. It wasn't that I was sort of particularly into technology as a thing. But I started to get interested in it. I signed up to, there was a partner mentoring program that was put in place for associates. And I signed up to that and I was paired with David Wakeling, who is obviously very across this and was just in the midst of doing margin matrix at the time, which was a, a you know, a huge success for A&O. And he started to encourage me to look at it. And then as I did, I became sort of really, really interested in it and started to want to take it forward and developing in it. And that coincided with, I think, the firm generally becoming much more interested in it as well. A few starting up, which I was able to get involved in, not as part of the, the team behind it, but just as someone who was supporting it and, and engaged in it. And it really grew from there. And as with these things, if you put your hand up for something, you kind of get allotted it. And so, you know, there would be opportunities. You become the go-to person. Well, exactly. That. So, and, and, and that was the, that was how I ended up meeting Navura, actually, having kind of put my hand up for it. Someone said, look, we met these guys. They're interested in automated drafting. That wasn't, by the way, at the time, something that we were doing across the board. Fuse hadn't started yet. We hadn't met Avoca. And although there was a bit of use of it around Contract Express, it wasn't so, it wasn't becoming the thing that it is now. So I went to meet with them and, and that's how that's how the engagement started. When did you realize that you actually wanted to make the transition from collaborator with a tech startup to being part of a tech startup? And why did you decide to make that transition? Sure. Well, it wasn't uh, an epiphany. It didn't sort of happen in one moment. It was something that sort of I'm gradually... I'm just imagining you having dinner uh, in the office, you know, the little the little box from the ANO canteen. And as you're <laughs> taking a bite, you're like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to change my career. If there's ever a moment for an epiphany, that might be it. But uh, <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't. No, it was, a, it was a gradual thing. It was something that sort of grew over time as I became more interested in it. I found myself spending more and more of my time working on the things Nabura was doing. And as that happened, it occurred to me that it, it made more sense for me at least to be part of that and in it rather than simply an advisor or a bystander to it. And I think that was very much part of kind of helping them on their early part of the journey when they were very much sort of just the founding team and you start to feel kind of more and more part of that. And for me at least, it felt like the right time to make that move. I certainly wasn't looking to leave a&O, I'd always been very happy there and I think could have very happily continued at the firm for some time to come. I was conscious that as I sort of got into this space a bit more, it was quite nascent, it was quite early on. I knew maturity was coming, but it was probably going to be some time before it really started to mature to a place where you could really progress your career significantly at A&O doing it. And so as I sort of became more interested in it, it just became to make more and more sense that I should be part of the the startup rather than the entity advising the startup or partnering with the startup. And and so that's what I did. And then, uh, you know, as I say, that, that kind of grew gradually over time. But then towards the end of 2018, I talked about it for a while, both with A&O and with the Nabura team. And we got to the end of 2018, it kind of just became the right time to do it. So that's the point at which I made the switch and, and started Navura in early 2019. As it happened, I think this turned out to be something that was in my interest, but also in the firm's interest as it, as it starts to look at technology in this space, having someone who knows A&O so well, but also knows Navura and, and how that might impact the particular area of the world that we operate in, debt capital markets. I think that was seen as a plus. 
It definitely sounds like it would have. And I know that you joined Nevora in January 2019. And since then, you've had a double role. There was the legal role as general counsel, and then the business role as legal product architect. So what I was quite curious about is how common is it for a lawyer joining a tech startup to have this kind of double hat? And what other business roles is the legal role usually coupled with? I think it's quite unusual. And it came out of the fact that I was a debt capital markets lawyer. I was helping Navura with the debt capital market space. And not to go into great detail here on that, but I'm sure our listeners really want to know all the details of bond well, issuances. <laughs> they may or they may not, but I'll give a very short piece, which is just not so much about bond issuances, but about securities. If you think about what a security is, it's basically it's a legal contract. At its core, that's, that's what it is. And therefore, all the data that's relevant to that security sits within the legal contract. So Navura's approach is to structure the data within legal contracts. And if you do that, you can do the three things that we mean when we really say we're automating securities issuance. That's generate a workflow by which I mean a step-by-step process that people can do online on a web-based platform to execute a transaction instead of having to send emails backwards and forwards and and conference calls, et cetera, as we do today. Automating the documentation, the actual contracts that that you need to underpin the, the transaction. And then probably most importantly, and this is where part of our real innovation comes, sending the data that sits in those contracts automatically to the various bits of an ecosystem that need it. And in capital markets, that means things like paying agents and stock exchanges and clearing systems and doing that automatically because today of course people just manually copy it from a document to another document or a document to a system that's time consuming it's costly there's a fair bit of risk in it because people often make mistakes when they do that i had been helping navura with that so a big part of what i was going to be able to help them with was how to take that piece forward and that really becomes the legal product architect role and looking at how we structure that data, how we apply it to the capital markets, and also how we bring law firms, obviously A&O, but, but the other law firms that, that operate in that space on that journey with us and, and create that ecosystem. Because as I said, you know, their participation is key to how we see all this working. And then obviously I was, you know, going there as a lawyer to an early stage company. So the general counsel role was an obvious one for me to assume. And I've done that and really enjoyed it. I think as the company matures, I said this right from the beginning, but we're seeing it now It is as it gets bigger and it scales, doing both of those roles is not going to be viable. And you have to go down one route or the other. I think one of the things that I've been really pleasantly surprised by is how much I've enjoyed the GC role. And, and one thing I would say is while the specific kind of commercial role and also a GC role combined might be unusual. As a general counsel, in particularly in an early stage company, although probably in any company, it is a commercial role, as in your job is to look at what the business is doing in particular areas, to advise it, to get across the risks that might arise. And really, where I've seen that role kind of grow and become much more interesting is when you start to use the legal skills that you amass as a lawyer at A&O and start to apply them to kind of the everyday business problems that any organization faces. And I think as a GC, that's where you really start to add your value. So I would say that while the split might be a bit unusual, actually, a GC role is in many ways a commercial role if you're doing it in the way it should be done. You actually anticipated my next question because I do want to ask more about the GC, the general counsel role, because I do assume that life in a tech startup is quite different from life in a law firm. 
what were your expectations going into the tech startup life and how did you find it in practice? Well, I mean, my expectations were, I mean, obviously I, I had certain expectations set because I had worked with Nibura for so long and they were already part of Fuse. So I, I knew what I was going into and had a pretty clear picture of that. Clearly it's quite different when you're actually on the inside. I think there are a couple of things at a high level, sort of being in a startup, everyone doing everything. You don't have the structure that you do at a firm, like you know, any any large institution. Certainly, you know, didn't have the structure that I did at A and O. And there's clearly a big contrast in that and how things are done. I think part of my job was to impose some of that. You obviously don't get it to the maturity that somewhere like A and O has it, but imposing a bit more structure. And we've seen that progress one day one day yeah well one day and we're, and we're certainly <laughs> getting there so you know it, it but i think you know in terms of the thing i say is you know transition from a and o into navura was a big transition but then just being in a startup you, you're going through transition all the time right because at any point you look back at the business three months before and it, it looks dramatically different to how it did the three months previously so you're constantly kind of changing and evolving once you're in it and i'd say that was a the big transition from ANO to Navura, but it's also the big difference about being in a startup environment to being in a, in a place like ANO, where generally, if you're looking at the firm over a three month period, it looks pretty similar. So that's just, you know, different stages. Obviously, one's a very mature place and one's a very nascent place. And I know that you mentioned that as your legal product role is very much on the tech side of things, but I was also curious how involved are you with? the tech side of things as a GC. I'm not sure if you're able to draw that line given that you're doing both roles, but just for our listeners, I thought it would be quite an interesting point to well, know I think about. Well, I think it goes to that point I was making about the commercial piece and, and being a GC because as GC, you're, what you're doing, sometimes you, a lot of the time you're, you're advising on the law, you're reviewing contracts or particular regulate. I mean, for us, we're, we're a regulated entity, so particular sort of regulatory provisions. So very sort of typical lawyering but then a lot of the time as i said you're using your skills that you've built up as a lawyer and applying them to the various kind of business issues that you face and that might be technology if there are particular risks in that part of the business that you identify that you think need addressing obviously you're not a technologist so i'm not sitting there looking at code and telling people you know whether it's right i've got no idea about that kind of stuff but certainly in terms of looking at how parts of the business operate and then drawing on your experience, you can add value to that thing, thing. You get involved with that, as you do with the other pieces of it, be that commercial or your implementation team or whichever part of the business it, it might be. And, you know, when I say kind of a GC kind of assuming a commercial role, it's really that's really what I mean by it. It's where you're drawing on those skills as a lawyer to do not just the straight legal advice, but actually trying to add value in different parts of the business where you see things that you think you can help with. That's very interesting, and I think it's very helpful uh, for everyone listening and for myself. So is there anything you wish you would have known before you made the transition that you realized kind of after you made it and you thought to yourself, oh, th this would have been a useful piece of information to have beforehand? How many podcasts do I get? <laughs> we can split it several episodes, and <laughs> so now I can be like, to be continued yeah right? I on this cliffhanger listeners may get a bit uh, it's not quite a netflix one so i don't know how how much they'll find the cliffhanger <laughs> uh, look there's tons there, there's tons I, I i wish i'd have known 
But I think one of the challenges here has been, you know, you're faced with a problem. You just don't know what the answer is and, and nobody does because there isn't a set answer. You've just got to try and come up one and fashion one as you go. And in the process of that, I think you get a lot of very good experience that comes from trying to problem solve and also probably trying to talk to people and have the conversations you need to have to get that particular issue resolved and then it, it's on to the next one. So what tips and advice would you give graduates and lawyers who want to become more involved with legal tech? Well, I, I would say, look, in the earliest part of your career, just take all the opportunities that are available to you to work with technology. There'll be tons of opportunities to do that, particularly if you're coming into ANO, you know, obviously you've got Fuse right there on your doorstep. You've got no excuse really not to engage with the companies that are there, not to get involved with it. One of the great advantages that I think tech is going to bring to lawyers in the junior part of their career is there will be more time for that kind of thing. And actually, often it's the case that people coming into the profession have got a far better grip of the technology and how it could apply to what they're doing than maybe some of the people who've been around a bit longer for whom it's not quite so so native. Use that and make suggestions and engage with it. I think you'll find a far more receptive audience at a law firm now than you would have done if you were coming in 10 years ago. You don't find meet many people anymore who think that technology doesn't have a role to play in the delivery of legal practice. And the other thing I say is, of course, you know, the efficiencies that technology is bringing to practice means there is, I think, trainees and, and people in the early stage of their career have, will get to spend more time on this kind of thing because technology is helping with maybe some of the more laborious tasks that they would have spent a lot of their time doing 10 years ago would be that very extensive diligence tasks or drafting the same contract over and over 500 times. You can start to use technology to make that easier. And in doing that, engage with it as well. At a firm like ANO, loads and loads of opportunities to do that, obviously through Fuse and then through practice more generally. If you're interested in this space, take every opportunity you can to do it because you're going to get absolute top-notch legal training and you can combine it with some really interesting opportunities in the technology space as well. I mean, I can actually vouch for that because when I came back from the secondment, from my client's secondment, I had this software idea. I messaged our internal innovation team called I2 and I was just like, hi, I have this idea based on my client's secondment and said, sure, let's give it a shot. Let's develop a version. So I completely agree with that. And I think that ANO generally is a really good place where ideas from any level are given the same weight and are given the same opportunity. And now moving on to the less serious part of the interview, this season, instead of the off the wall questions, we have a little game called Two Truths and a Lie. So Ricky, what are your two truths and a lie? Don't tell me which one's which. Okay. I'm doing this podcast from the paddling pool because it's 36 <laughs> degrees at the moment. <laughs> During lockdown, a government minister bought me an ice cream, socially distanced, of course, and I won an award for the A&O fashion show once upon a time. Oh, this is <laughs> so many questions. Okay. Um, I'll just ask maybe three questions to see for each of your statements. When was this fashion show? where you won the award? Oh, that's a good question. I think it must have been about 2010, 2011. <laughs> okay. I do remember uh, that the, the morning the morning after, I, the first thing I knew was when the radio came on, which was supposed to be my alarm, 
and it wasn't i normally had to get the today show coming on in the morning but it wasn't it's well it was something like the world at one and i woke up and it was one o'clock in the afternoon having missed about 20 calls from my boss who i'd been out with the night before who joined me <laughs> in the fashion show so he was suitably understanding what were you wearing as you received this award for oh god that's show? uh yeah um i think it was some kind of suit i i think i I remember having to flick my A and O business cards into the audience in in quite an elaborate <laughs> kind of gesture. But. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Then about the about the minister who who bought you the ice cream, where was this? In yeah, just where was this? How how did this happen? It was near my home in London. <laughs> And why did you ask for the ice cream or did the, did no, the minister was, it, just it, see it, you sweating it, profusely? It, it, was, it, was, it was offered to me. Why do you know the reason why it was offered? Was it offered to anyone else actually? Yeah, it was offered to a number of other people and I was one person that it was offered to. Okay, well, this sounds, this sounds quite possible, I think. Okay. Uh, and about the paddle pool. How come that on this recording we can't hear any outdoors noises? Because you sent me outstanding audio equipment. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to say that the lie is the, um, I don't know, I would say it's the fashion show. Ah, that's not the lie. <laughs> believe this <laughs> How, what was the competition like what <laughs> well it was done it was done in the auditorium um okay. it was exceptionally embarrassing <laughs> it was done it was it was obviously it was part of a fundraise for the ano charity at the time i can't remember which one it was uh, anymore i think it was the red cross it was the first one we'd done it was the red cross so um which was the first time ano had done a, a sort of charity to partner with i know that's become a regular thing but that, that was a new thing back then um so it was in the auditorium i did it with my then boss phil smith he was a partner in jess G. he's retired now and along with a load of others and i i definitely got an award for it it's maybe that other people did too i don't think i was necessarily singled out as a particularly good model at this fashion show at least i hope i wasn't um <laughs> and yeah that was the ano fashion show. that was the truth so what was the lie then? Uh, the lie is the paddling pool. I'm not in a paddling pool doing this auditor doing this recording as much as I might like to be. <laughs> I think that's quite reassuring, actually. <laughs> I, I'd like to think that our state of the art equipment is is not is not close to a paddling pool. Uh, no, it's uh, it, it's not. So yeah, I'm not in the paddling pool. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this episode. Thank you so much for answering all of the questions so openly and comprehensively. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot, as have I. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me. It's been been a pleasure being on. Uh, and yeah, good luck to all the listeners who are, who are just starting their, their careers. I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a good time doing it. Don't forget to tune in for our next episode where we will speak with two trainees and one graduate recruitment specialist about how to turn your vacation scheme into a training contract. That million dollar question for all the applicants out there. Thank you all for listening and remember to check out our social media and graduate recruitment website.